Hey, good morning, church. Great to see you. This is the day the Lord has made. We're rejoicing. We're glad in it. Welcome to Union Chapel. We're so happy to see you. I'm Greg Paris, and we are uh, so glad you're here. We're receiving the offering, so if you missed that, uh, the buckets are on the right side of the aisle. Pass them to your left, and thank you for that. If there's nothing in it, in the bucket, when it gets to the end of your aisle, just pass it back. Pass it back across. Redo till you get that right. That's, that's perfect. Thank you so much. We are in a series right now entitled Hope in the Dark. Believing God is good even when life isn't. We're taking our cues from a book uh, written by Pastor Craig Groeschel at Life Church entitled Hope in the Dark. If you, have, if you haven't read that, I would encourage you to grab it and take advantage of it. It's, it's a great, uh, a great uh, encouragement and hope. So uh, we are using the book of Habakkuk for this series. Just a reminder that this is not one of those sitcom sermon series, meaning Things don't resolve themselves at the end of 30 minutes, plus commercials. Uh, the end of the sermon last week didn't have a happy ending, and I hate to tell you, chapter 2 of Habakkuk is even worse. <laughs> it doesn't get better, uh, but it is real, and it is honest, and it is raw, and all of us can identify with times in life when we just find ourselves up against a spiritual wall. We don't understand why things are happening the way they are. We wonder where God is. We wonder why he doesn't do something. We know he can. We know he could. Why isn't he? It leads to all kinds of confusion, all kinds of doubt, all kinds of questions. And so we pick up this uh, important story now in the, in the nation of Israel when Habakkuk as a prophet is not just in a conventional way speaking for God to the people, on behalf of God to the people, but rather now he's speaking on behalf of the people to God. He doesn't appreciate that God's not responding to the needs of the nation, and so he's confused by that. He's troubled by it, and he's trying to hang on and wrestle with the concept that God is good while things are bad, and this is how we find the prophet. So today we pick up the story in chapter 2, Habakkuk chapter 2. I'm going to read the first four verses of chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there not we'll project the words on the screen for you. Our custom is to stand, to hear God's word. We do this to honor the authority of God's word in our lives, and thank you for doing that as you're able. And so the prophet writes, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faith. The righteous person will live by his faithfulness. And may God inspire us, instruct us through his word today. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Chapter 1, Habakkuk is wondering, what's going on? Why is this happening? Where is God in all of it? So chapter 1, he's wondering. Chapter 2, he's waiting. 
He's anxiously waiting. He's trying to be patient, but it's not easy. And so he's wondering, he's waiting, he's wrestling with God, he's stuck in a difficult, dark place, he's hurting. And so in that context, in chapter 2 now, Habakkuk teaches us to do three things when you find yourself up, up against a spiritual wall. And they're on your outline. Here's the first one. Write this down if you will. This is what we learn. We learn first to listen. To listen. Some people walk away from God when times get hard, when hope is lost, it seems. They walk away. They start to doubt God. People quit on God. Other people just live in denial. Well, maybe this isn't so bad. You know, God is good and, and I'll pretend like this isn't happening. And they live in this state of denial, but that's not healthy. That's not good. That's not helpful. And so these are the reactions that people have. But Habakkuk reminds us of the importance of listening to God. It's the first thing he does to posture himself, to intentionally posture himself so that he can hear from God. From our text, look on the screen with me at verse 1. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he, the Lord, will say to me. So he's, he's intentional. Now our instinct, our instinct when times are tough, there's lots of pressure, our instinct is to give God advice on what he should do. And so, so we pray, Lord, meet the need. Lord, heal my, heal my sick loved one. Uh, intervene in these circumstances. And so we give God a little assistance there. We know what you want to do, God, so we're praying that you'll do it. But that's not the posture that Habakkuk takes here. Uh, we are learning that God speaks to his people, and it's important for us to listen. God speaks to us through his word. The Bible says that the scripture is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. If we, if we hide the words of this book in our heart, that we'll have wisdom and that we'll not sin against God. And, and God speaks to us through his word. I wonder how many of you are familiar with the YouVersion Bible app? How many of you actually have the YouVersion Bible app? Maybe on your phone or your pad, whatever. That's a lot of people. Listen to me, dear ones. There are a half a billion people who now have the YouVersion Bible app. 500 million people around the world now have the YouVersion Bible app. Here's my question to you. Are you holding out to be the last person on earth not to have the YouVersion Bible app? Download that thing. It's free. Download that thing today for the end of the day and it has a thousand resources every day you know it'll, it'll, it'll just come up on your phone here's the verse of the day so the the bible just comes to you very easily and naturally that way and so and, and there are all kinds of study series and other resources you should get the app because by the bible app helps us hear from god's words god speaks to us god speaks to us through his spirit he'll drop a thought into our mind or he'll he'll actually speak to us in a very spiritual, personal way. That can happen. God, God uses people to speak to us. God uses circumstances to speak to us. God uses messages, sermons, or songs. God uses all kinds of ways to speak to us. And by the way, in a couple of weeks, we're going to begin a new series on divine direction. And we're going to spend a handful of weeks just talking about the way God directs our lives and to get wisdom about that. Because every one of us are trying to discern God's will all the time, every day. And this will be helpful to us to understand these things. So God will speak. And sometimes, though, you're in a dark place, you're in a, at a desert place, a dry place. 
sometimes when you're just out there, you feel kind of isolated and the circumstances are hard and difficult and you feel the stress of that. Sometimes in moments like that, it seems like God's not speaking at all. Now, let me just say, let me give you permission to realize that sometimes it seems God is quiet. And indeed, it does feel that way. But let me just remind you, even though God is silent, it doesn't mean he's absent. He is always with us. He's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And he's faithful to that promise. And here's one more thing. As long as we're being real, can we be real? Sometimes when God speaks to us, in our despair, we pray and God speaks to us. Sometimes the things we hear from God, we don't want to hear. We don't like to hear. This is what happened to Habakkuk. Habakkuk says, hey, God, I don't like the way you're running your nation here. I don't like all of the corruption and all the, all the oppression. I don't, I don't like all this. Why don't you do something? And God said, okay, I'm going to do something. Habakkuk goes, okay, finally, God's heard my prayer. He's going he's to respond to all this. And God says, well, you're not going to believe what my answer is. He said, what's that? He said, well, I'm sending your enemy, the Babylonians, to, uh, to, to oppress you and to pass judgment on you. What? So all that to say that sometimes we cry out to God, God answers, and he gives us the answer we don't want to hear. That's possible. The Apostle Paul had this experience. He had uh, some kind of condition. He called it a, a thorn in the flesh or a thorn in his side. And we're left to speculate about what it was. We don't know if it was some kind of chronic illness, maybe blindness or some kind of chronic pain. Um, left to speculate maybe it was an addiction or maybe he suffered with depression. We don't know what this thorn in his flesh was. But we do know that he, he really asked God to take it away from him. In fact, he said, I prayed three times. So he's begging God, please, Lord, take this from me. I, I'm, I'm your servant. I'm devoted to you. I'll do anything you ask me to do. Please just take this away from me. When God finally answers Paul, he says, I'm not going to take that from you. He said, my grace will be given to you, my grace sufficient for you to endure this particular thorn in the flesh. It's not the answer that he was expecting. It's not the answer he wanted. You, know, you, can, you can feel Paul pushing back. Don't you know who I am? I'm the apostle Paul. I'm your guy. You know, he, he ends up writing two-thirds of the books of the New Testament. People argue that he had the best grasp of the gospel of anyone in the first century. And they're probably right about that. I mean, he, he was out there. He's, he's this missionary apostle. And he's out there working for God, living for God. He could have pushed back. Maybe you've done this. Lord, Lord you, I'm, your, I'm your guy. I'm your gal. I, I'm your servant. I'm following you. Please, would you take care of this? God says sometimes no. No, no, but I'll give you grace in it. Paul maybe pushed back and, and said, well, you know, I'm the guy who, I've been shipwrecked for you. I've been beaten. I've been whipped for you. I've been imprisoned for you. I've been snake bit for you. And you know how I hate snakes. <laughs> I've been stoned for you. That, that's not recreational stoning there. That's people are actually throwing rocks at him. God said no. My grace is sufficient for you. So we, we pause and we listen. We listen for what God might say. Here's the second thing. Write this down. And it's simply to write. W-R-I-T-E. 
Whatever God says to you, write it down. Document it. Record it. Keep it so that it can be memorialized. Look at verse 2 of our text. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation. Make it plain. Make it, make it plain. Now, why do we do this? We do this, we do this because there's an enemy the Bible says that the devil actually wants to steal and kill and destroy the things that God wants to give us, wants to do that to us. So God might give us a word, and that word may be hopeful and encouraging and maybe even peace-producing in our lives. And so we hear a word from God and it encourages us, and immediately the devil tries to come and steal it from us. And if we're not careful to write it down or memorialize it in some way, then we can't refer to it after that, and we can lose it. Last week, for example, I think that there was all kinds of benefit to the message from this first chapter of Habakkuk. And we concluded last week, in the midst of all of this pain and confusion and doubt, that it's actually possible there's another option be between besides denying how difficult your life is and how conflicted that is with the goodness of God, or just running from God, or giving up on God, or quitting God, those two options most people choose, there's a third better way, which is I can at the same time wrestle with God and my doubts, as well as embrace a meaningful faith. I can do that at the same time, and it's the better way. Contest with God, wrestle with God, contend with God, question God, and at the same time say, I believe in you, God. I'm trusting you, God. And, and we learned that last week. And I think that given, giving ourselves permission to live that way was liberating for us. That's, that's good because all of us wonder and all of us doubt and all of us want to believe. And so we can live in that tension. And so people left church last week, I'm sure, with that truth. And they, that was helpful to them. That's a good word. But before they got home, it was lost because life starts happening immediately. And maybe you get in a spat with your spouse on the way home or... Or you pick up the kids and they're in the back seat, you know, and before you get halfway home, one of them says, don't touch me. He touched me, mom. Make him stop touching me. Well, he did it again. You know, and before, before you get halfway home, you know, you're, you're losing it because of life happening and you get home and you think, what was it they said? What was that important idea that was so meaningful when I heard it? And then it gets lost. Because you haven't written it down, you haven't memorialized it, you haven't documented it so that you can return to it and benefit from it. And so we need to write these important things down. There's a great story in Second Chronicles 20, and this is an occasion when uh, the kingdom of Israel was divided north and south, and Judah was the th southern kingdom, and Jerusalem the capital there, and the king at the time was a guy named Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat was a godly man and a good leader. And there was this confederation of enemy forces that had aligned themselves and they were going to annihilate the southern kingdom, overrun Jerusalem and kill everybody. And it was very, very threatening. And when Jehoshaphat found out about this threat, this imminent threat, what he did was he called a big prayer meeting. And so he gets all the elders together and as many people could assemble around the temple as possible and they have this big worship service. And so the worship team's playing and people are praying. And How many of you know you pray better when you're desperate? You know, we could die imminently from this overwhelming force. 
How many of you know that helps your prayer life? I mean, we, can you imagine getting real fervent about prayer? So they're, they're worshiping with all they got, and they're praying, asking God for help, for his mercy. And suddenly one of the elders gets a word from God, and he starts prophesying. And we, have, we know the prophecy because they wrote it down. We have it in the text in 2 Chronicles 20. And in verse 17 of 2 Chronicles 20, this is part of that prophecy. And, and, the, and the elder said, uh, on behalf of the Lord, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Now, how many of you know under those circumstances, that's an encouraging word? That's a hopeful word. Hey, we have hope that we didn't have before. And they memorialized this, of course, and the next day, that's what they did. And everyone took their position. Jehoshaphat was at the front of the army, and all the foot soldiers were in their place. And Jehoshaphat sent the worship team and the choir out in front of everybody. And so they're singing and worshiping before God. And what God did, they, 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 they put themselves in place. They lived as if they had a hopeful future. They found themselves responsible for the role that God had given them. They, they stood firm. They took their place. And then God began to work. And he confused the enemies, these three different tribes that were in this confederation. Somehow God confused them into thinking that the other was conspiring against them, and so they turned on each other and killed themselves. So all the Israelites had to do that day was go out and collect the spoils from these confederated tribes who had killed themselves because they became suspicious of one another. It's a powerful story of God's deliverance. Jehoshaphat got all excited. He started jumping around and praising God. You've heard the phrase, jumping Jehoshaphat. Jumping Jehoshaphat. It comes from that. And he was happy because he got to live and his nation was preserved. It's a great thing. Years ago, I was having lunch at Burger King. I was by myself. This is back in the day when the church was in one of our growth spurts and we were still meeting in a little cornfield church out north of, of town in the county and we were really out of room, just out of room. And we needed some more space and we didn't have any more acreage, we didn't have any more building. It was, it was a problem, good problem. And I was at Burger King, this was in December, and I was minding my own business, and I was eating a Whopper. By the way, I've, I've tried one of those impossible Whoppers. Have you tried one? This is where the, where the meat portion of the Whopper is actually regurgitated, well not regurgitated, it's re, <laughs> reconstituted. It just tastes like it's regurgitated. Reconstituted vegetables so it's it's vegetables made to look like a burger so i've checked that off my bucket list <laughs> there's something not right about it it's not natural it's healthy but it's it's not right so i i don't think i'll do it anymore but i was having a whopper that day a regulation whopper with all the grease and stuff that good stuff and thinking about the challenge that we had to try to accommodate the growth of the church. And God began to speak to me. And the reason, this is how, you know, you can hear people say, God told me something and maybe that he did or maybe he didn't. But this is how you can know that this was a very serious moment for me. 
I actually took a half-eaten Whopper and I pushed it away, just like that. Now, just in case, just for perspective, I'm not sure anything short of a word from God could keep me to stop from finishing my Whopper. Can I get a witness? I mean, I mean, maybe the fire alarm had gone off. I'm pretty sure I may have stayed until I finished before I left the building. I mean, there's, there are priorities in life. One of them is when you start a Whopper, you should finish that thing. So I pushed mine away, and God began to speak to me, and I took a Burger King napkin, and I had a pen, and I started writing, writing down what God was telling me. And he said, take your morning... Sunday morning principal worship services and convene them at Delta High School and use their auditorium. They got a beautiful auditorium there and this would be perfect for worship. And then there was a list of other ancillary things that came with that. And I just thought, this is the greatest thing ever. I was so excited. I was so so encouraged. I was so enthused. So I went home, I called the school and I got an appointment with the principal. And I went into the, talked to the principal of the high school and I thought he would be as excited as I was about a church that was growing and needing more space and so forth and so on. So I told him the story with great enthusiasm, and then I popped the question. So what do you think about our church using the school here to meet on Sundays? And this is what he said to me. He never broke a smile. He never showed any interest. He was completely deadpan and very, very serious when he looked at me and said, and I quote, your church has a snowball's chance in a very hot place of ever meeting in my school. Only he didn't say hot place. Your church has as much chance as a snowball ever meeting in my school. And I, I just thought, wait, you didn't hear from God? I got it on the napkin. How did you miss it? It was so explicit, so clear. I wrote it down. And he said, you know, get out of my office. So I went home and I checked my napkin again because I needed to be reassured. I thought, I'm pretty sure that was God. I mean, how, but how can you be sure? And you start to wobble, you start to wonder, start to wrestle. But I, but I wrote it down and I had the date on it. And I... And I remember how poignant it was. And having written it down, just solidified it again. For, so I picked up the phone. I called the superintendent of schools. And the superintendent of schools let me come to his office. And I sat down with him. He said, I know why you're here. I said, the principal's already called me. He looked at me and he said, there's not a chance. This is going to happen. He said, we had a, a, a small church in one of our elementary schools a few years ago. It was a disaster. And he went through this litany of all the problems that they had with that relationship. So, and so he said, really, just give up on this. <laughs> so I went home and I talked to my chief counsel, my wife, Beth, and I said, what do you think about this? She said, look, did, did God tell you? And I said, I'm pretty sure I got on a napkin, <laughs> wrote it down. Sometimes, you know, I'm starting to get wobbly, but I just couldn't let it go because I, I, felt, I felt so much conviction about it. And so I wrote a letter, and it was more like a memo of understanding to the president of the school board, you know, and here are the the expectations. This is how much time, you know, I'd like to just contract with this. And so I kind of laid out kind of a formal relationship, 
and specifying, you know, how much priority school functions would have, and we'd be accommodating in every way, and you can count on us to, to leave it cleaner than we found it, you know, stuff like that. And I sent this formal letter to the president of the school board, and I got on the agenda at the next school board meeting. So it's the last thing on the agenda. I went to the school board meeting. <laughs> Beth was home praying. I'm the only one who knew anything about this. So I'm just there. I got my napkin. <laughs> and the school board meeting went long. It was a contracted meeting, and it was very contentious. People, by the end of the meeting, they were done. You know, like, flip me over. I'm done. And I just thought, this is perfect. You know, this is, this is just wrong, wrong, wrong. <laughs> And I'm, the door's going to get slammed on my face again. You know, I'm the great man of faith and power. And so I got no faith. And Beth is home. She's praying. We found a little verse in the Old Testament at one point, And it said, and God turned the heart of the king. We said, yeah, that's what we need. We need you to turn people's hearts about this issue. So the last agenda on the, on the school board docket and... One of the school board members asked me a couple of questions about what if there's a conflict, blah, blah, blah. And then one of the school board members said, look, I, I move that we allow Union Chapel to meet in the high school here for 18 months, see how it goes, just probationary time. Uh, another person said, I second it. They voted. It was unanimous. Happened in like 18 seconds, just like that. Boom, boom, boom. And it was done. The, the, pres the, the principal of the, of the high school, literally, he slid down in his chair until the back of his head, you know, hit the top of the chair, the back of the chair. And it, it's like he was, he was ticked. He was really upset. The, the superintendent of schools, he put his arms down on the table. I mean, he moaned. He went, oh, like that for everyone in the room to hear. And he put his, and he put his head down on the table like he's a third grader in timeout. And I just thought... They don't seem like they're happy about this. It's a gift of discernment. And, but listen, one thing led to another. And I can tell you miracle after miracle of that relationship. We ended up being at the high school four and a half years. By the time we left the high school, the high school was thrilled that we were there because of the value that we had added to the culture there. And it's an amazing story. And God, God did an, an amazing thing. But there's a story, and I'm saying, listen, and then write it down. In big moments of your life, you've got you've to pause to listen. Here's what I, I think God's speaking to us all the time. I think God is talking to you all the time because our God speaks. He communicates with his people. He does it in a thousand different ways, and I think he's talking to us all the time. We're just not tuned in. We're just not listening. We're just not paying attention. But if we'll, if we'll pause and, and really... Learn how to discern the voice of God. I believe we'll hear messages from God more frequently than we can imagine. Because God does speak. And then we, we write these visions and these words that God gives us. Here's the last thing. It's the third thing, and it's difficult. It's no fun. But it's, it's the process when we wait. We wait. Some of you are living in the wait right now. You're living in the waiting right now. Wondering is no fun. God, what are you doing? Why is this happening? What are you doing? You could do more, but you're not. You could see me through this right now, but you won't. I wonder, God, where are you? Wondering is hard. Waiting 
is harder still. Waiting is very, very difficult. Lord, when is my child going to come to a meaningful faith? The more I pray, it seems the further they go away from you. How long, O oh Lord, until my children say yes to you? Or how long do I have to be a single person? You know I want to be married. You know I want to, I want to have a, a person who is my mate. How long, Lord, do I have to wait? How long? And what about these migraine headaches? Lord, they're so debilitating. They just, they can shut me off for days. It's so hard, so painful, so difficult. Why? Why do I have to suffer like this? How long, O oh Lord? How long? Or maybe it's that depression or that job you need with benefits to secure your family. On and on the list of things go. And we wonder and we wait. Look at verse 3. It's from our text. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. Everyone say appointed time. Appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come. It will not delay. So there's the promise. There's the response as we wait. Our youngest son, Isaac, one day he said to me, Dad, I'm waiting for my wife. I said, oh, you are? He said, yeah. I said, well, where is she? He said, I don't know. I haven't met her yet. I was waiting. I'm waiting. Some of you are waiting right now. Though it linger, seems like it's taken forever. Though it linger, wait for him, wait for him. Here's a living Bible paraphrase of that same verse. A paraphrase is just, a, you know, it gets the gist of the meaning. It's not a literal translation. It uses a few more words and more modern language that helps us understand it. Look at this paraphrase of Habakkuk 2.3. But these things I, I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely, the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, do not despair. For these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. Let me tell you something about timing. The Hebrew word, which is the language of the Old Testament, the Hebrew word that's translated appointed time is a Hebrew word that's pronounced moed, moed. And it literally means the perfect, unstoppable timing of God. When it's moed, that means it's coming, it's time. Beth and I... Uh, Beth and I were pregnant with our first son, Aaron, and you know, that's a waiting time. Gestation is nine months, we wait. We wait, we wait, we anticipate. We went to all the Lamaze classes, you know, these natural birthing classes. We were very, we were very determined, very dedicated to this. We learned all the langa, language and the lingo and, and learned about blowing through and breathing techniques and focal points. And, and the Lamaze instructor, you know, was very, very careful almost on a weekly basis to remind us that the most critical moment in the whole labor birthing process is transition. This is, this is when the mother, uh, the, the, the mother dilates to, to the right size so the baby can fit through the birth canal and, and it's the most critical time and so you must not push or put any pressure on the baby until 
dilation is complete, and it's called transition. Perfect. So we're in the labor room. This is back in the day when you had a labor room, then you had a delivery room. And so we're in the labor room, and we're going through the routine, and the doctor is making regular checks, and, and, uh, and hours are passing. First baby, first labor. And then the doctor came in. He wasn't a very old guy, and, and he came in and examined Beth. And then he walks to the door and just casually, kind of over his shoulder, he says, uh, you can push now. And then out the door he went. What, what did he say? What? I turned it. Did he, did he say you could push? Beth said, I, I think he did. I'm not sure. I, I chased him across the hall, down the hall. I grabbed him. I said, dude, now listen, this may be your 500th baby, but this is my first baby. So you can't be casual with me. Why did they do this? You can't be casual with me about transition. Did you say it was okay to push? He said, yeah, yeah. He smiled, you know, at me like dope. It's okay to push. All right, fine. So the next contraction comes and we're ready because we've been practicing. We know, we know what pushing and breathing is. And so Beth pushes the first time. First baby, first labor, first push. We're in transition. We're pushing. Now Beth communicates in two particular ways if you don't know her well. One is that she's articulate and she can express to you in words what she's thinking. The other is nonverbal. <laughs> I pick up on the cues. I have a PhD in nonverbal with my wife. And there are a number of messages that I get frequently and they're very powerful. Beth has, Beth has, Beth has big brown eyes and when Beth's eyes, big brown eyes, get really big, That's level orange. This is, this means we must stop all that we're doing and address whatever issue is in front of us. And she pushed the first time and she looked at me and her eyes got, she, her eyes got big. She said, the baby's coming. I said, Beth, it's your first push. The baby, you will be pushing for hours. This is what happens. This is the way it works. Then her big brown eyes got very big. Oh, uh-oh. And I pulled back the sheet, and the baby was crowned. I went running. Went running across the hall into the nurse's station. I take the nurse by the wrist, and I said, the baby's crowned. And the nurse reaches over to me and starts patting me on the hand. And she says, now, 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 you've just started pushing you're going to be pushing for hours. And I went, she didn't get it. So I just, I had her. And so I drug her, <laughs> drug her across the, the hallway, into the room, over to the bed, pull the sheet back, push the nurse down. And now the nurse is excited as I am about the whole, the whole experience. And I'm just happy someone else is excited. And so we've got to blow through the next two contractions because we've got to transition now from the labor room into the delivery room and we get there. And... The next contraction comes, and literally on the second push, Beth delivers our first baby. She is one tough lady right there. She's tough. It was, it was impressive. Yeah. Our baby, our baby was pretty mashed up, but he was going to be born right now whether he wanted it or not. And so it all worked out well. 
Here's what we know. At the appointed time, watch it, it's going to happen. When Moed comes to your life, listen, you can't stop it. You can't stop it. This is, this is on your outline. I want you to write this down. Because in the kingdom of God, timing is everything. It's essential. So important. And here's what we know. If it's not God's time, you can't force it. You can't force it. People do this all the time. Listen, hear, hear the wisdom of God. If it is not God's time, you cannot force it. You must not, you should not force it. I see this all the time in people's lives, good Christian people's lives. They think it's right, they believe it's right, they feel it's right, they're determined that it's right, and they try to make something happen. It's not God's time. And when it's not God's time, it is not wise to push. And the other side of that is when it is God's time, you can't stop it. When it's Moed, it's going to happen. In the meantime, we have to wait. We have to wait. Though it linger, wait for it. Though, though it takes time, more time than we, do, than we want, we desire. We have to wait for it at the appointed time. His timing is perfect. You may think it's taken forever, but if it's God's time, that's the best time. And so we remember, we listen, we write. We wait. Then we come to verse 4 of our text. And many Christian scholars believe that this is the most important verse in the entire Old Testament. And you'll understand why perhaps in a moment. But here's verse 4 of Habakkuk 2. It says, see the enemy is puffed up. We're talking about the Babylonians now that have been employed to judge Israel. His desires are not upright. And they're going to get what they're, what's coming to them is God's message. But then God reminds Habakkuk, but the righteous person will live by his faith, by his faithfulness. The New Testament scripture simply says the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. And so here's what is true about us people of faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. We live by faith. We serve a God who's unseen. We walk by faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things we have not yet seen. We, we believe that we're going to an eternal kingdom. There's an eternal life out in front of us. We've not seen it. We believe it by faith. We believe that God is good and that God is real and that God is active in our world. And it's not because we actually can physically see him, but rather by faith we follow and we trust. We live by faith. The righteous person will live by faith. You see, our faith is not based on, on what we see. It's not based on what we want. It's not based on our desired outcome. Our faith is based on the character and the goodness and the nature of our God. We can be faithful because he first is faithful. We can have faith in him because he is a faithful God. We live by faith. The righteous live by faith. So here is, here is Habakkuk who's disturbed and confused and upset and angry, feels betrayed. He's questioning. He's doubting. He's trying to hang on. 
He's wrestling with God and trying to embrace a meaningful faith at the same time. He's doing all those things, and yet he has to wait, and he has to trust. A young mother, a pastor's wife, posted this on her Facebook. They have a daughter who began suffering seizures. They didn't know the cause, and this baby was just seizuring. On hard days, she wrote, when the seizure count is over 15 by noon, you have to remind yourself that God is good. And then she quoted the lyrics of one of the songs they sing in their church. Even in the unknown, I know that you are good. Even in the waiting, you are good. I will lift my hands while I'm waiting. Louder than my fears, I will sing. May my heart ever be reminded, you are good. And so Habakkuk concludes this second chapter in verse 20. Look at that on the screen with me. He's all upset. He's trying to hang on. He's trying to, he's trying to manage. And so he makes this simple statement to remind himself and us that God is still in control, that God is still in charge. And he uses these three words, but the Lord. I feel desperate. I'm confused. I'm full of doubt. I, I'm full of wonder. I'm waiting. I'm trying. I'm trying to be patient. It's so hard. This is the worst thing. This is the most difficult moment of my life. But the Lord but the Lord, but the Lord is in his holy temple. God is on his throne. God is in control. He's got you. He's aware of you. He understands all the circumstances. He knows. He cares. And he'll not leave you. And so we wait. We wait for his goodness. We wait for his provision. We wait for his hand to be seen. No happy endings to these sermons. Here's the end of the sermon. This is what I leave you with. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Be encouraged. Be at peace no matter what. And be filled with hope. In Jesus' name. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for this clarity that gives us hope and light and help. Pray then, God, that you would extend your grace to us because we're needy. We're weak. Some of us are in deep despair. We're confused. It's so hard. We wonder. We wait. We wrestle. So help us, God, to listen, to posture ourselves so that we can hear you. Speak to us, O oh God, and help us to hear. And then, Lord, help us to memorialize what you say, to write it down, to share it with a friend, to, to, to give it a place where we can find from it hope and peace. And then, Lord, give us patience as we wait, as we wait. Because you, O oh Lord, are in your holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before you. In Jesus' name. And the people said, amen. Would you stand with us?